So this is um, actually a dilemma that many people um, encounter. You know, when you walk, uh, you decide to wake up, or you have woken up by mistake. <laughs> you suddenly realize that you begin to see things in a different way, and you wonder what happened to me. And then you are having maybe a, a living a very comfortable life and. Uh, you might feel really content on a material level with everything you have. You have a good partner, good children, etc., etc. And suddenly, uh, yet, you know, it's something that appears in front of oneself that life is not really, maybe, fully, uh, you know, taken on board. There's something missing. There's something that's not working. And many people, you know, uh, experience that. It's not a, an unusual. Uh, realization, you know. but most humans are not really equipped to deal with uh, what the Buddha called dukkha, the suffering, which is not just dukkha. is actually an interesting word because it means um, suffering and a kind of ordinary translation. It also means that which is difficult to bear. You can also have this sense of dukkha being that which is hard to bear with, and then. There's also the word I've been translated as stress, which I think is a very good word, stress, because it covers really our human, um, you know, um, struggle with life. We struggle from the beginning. We don't come out of, everybody knows, we don't come out of the, uh, you know, the mother's womb, uh, you know, smiling and singing. So it starts really early on. We start screaming, and then we probably continue. Maybe some of some of us screaming inwardly till we die. If we not, if we don't sort of uh, come to a point of resolving this uh, difficult um, truth, you know. And what I mean by screaming is, of course, it's an exaggeration. You know, so something in us is not at peace. Something in us is really doesn't understand. And we can blame ourselves, we can distract ourselves through many addictions. You know, many addictions in the world uh, is simply a way of dealing with life. I don't have a, uh, you know, I'm not addicted myself, if, but I, I understand. I've met a lot of, you know, a number of people who are addicted through drugs, or alcohol, through all kinds of things, you know. And you can see people just can't cope with the suffering that they experience. They can't actually deal with they don't have any tools, they don't have any means of resolving what they can't understand, the confusion of their mind, the confusion of their life, and so on. So this is really an important topic to speak about because um, what I discovered myself when I was inter became interested in uh, this teaching is I was exactly in that place, you know, where you really wonder what you are here for and how you're going to spend the next 70 years just you know, being human and struggling? Or can I stop struggling? Can I, there is a way where I can be, uh, in a way, feeling the, the satisfaction of, of a result that, you know, that enables me to understand life better, to understand myself, because this life doesn't go, doesn't come out of anywhere else, but, you know, my own person here, the person, my mind, which is not the brain here, the mind is, you know, it's not, you don't have a beginning and an ending somehow. You know, at first you think it's just here, limited by your head. And then you realize it's uh, not the case, you know, that uh, you carry your mind all around. And 
uh, for a long, long time, you take this mind very personally. You think it's my mind, and it feels like your mind because it is your story. It is your birth, your story, and eventually the way you die is your death. Yeah. But there's also another way to look at it, fortunately, and that is something we discovered as we become more conscious and more aware that what I see, what I know, is not really as, uh, you know, as personal as we tend to believe. So a great, you know, a great part of our suffering is not so much that we are stupid or when we talked about ignorance, it's not like we, we are uneducated, and, and sort of, we don't have a kind of knowledge that of the knowledge through memories, through accumulation of knowledge, and so on. It's more like we don't, we we haven't encountered the, the tools that in, enable us to deeply understand what predicament we find ourselves in. How many of us, you know, um, how many of us realize the complexity of our mind and body? And instead of realizing this, we, it's very easy for us to beat ourselves up for not doing the right things or for not getting it right or for not really succeeding in what we are doing in life, right? How many of us have to go through conflicts, through uh, things that do not work, a future that's uncertain and frightening for many people? Uh, you know, a past that's kind of hanging on, on our, sh- over our shoulder and is heavy work, heavy load on our back, you know, carrying the past, fearing the future and finding that the present is not even something maybe you realize. You might not even know for a long, long time that there is a, a present experience because we are constantly on the run, you know, on the run, trying to find a way out trying to find a better way, trying to improve our life, trying to, you know, and often criticize ourselves for not getting it right. If it's not ourselves, when we are less mature, we, we, it, it's much easier to criticize somebody else, as you know, to put the blame on someone else, on situation, on something external to ourselves. So this is very distressing for many people, you know. And um, it's quite normal. It's pretty distressing when you feel you're, you're so. It's a, such a lack of ease in ourselves, and uh, uh, enabling. Uh, and then we don't have a way out. You know, we don't know how to kind of free ourselves from that. So the quick way, you know, is just take a pill, take a drug. You know, as my teacher. Uh, uh, I used to say, just do a, a lobotomy. You know, take your brain out. Uh, you know, make, put yourself to sleep, in other words, you know, forget, forget again and again, you know. So there's nothing wrong, it's absolutely normal, you know, it's like to, uh, to stay alive, you have to have, I do believe, a certain amount of well-being. If you're just miserable one moment to the next to the next for several years, you end up being clinically sick. You know, you actually end up depressed or some people kill themselves, some people uh, hate the world, some people turn into criminal and, you know, murderer, all kinds of things. You know, it's like they don't know how to deal with their content of their mind. So the Buddha, uh, just practically, uh, as out of compassion for all of us, he, um, you know, kind of taught for 45 years uh, monks, nuns, and lay people throughout his life to help them to, to, to 
explain to them how this life uh, manifests and how this life functions, how this life works. It's too easy for us to keep, to keep thinking, I'm hopeless, I can't do this, I'm terrible, they are terrible, they are hopeless. It's not the way out. That's a quick way. <laughs> Does it work? Have you noticed if it works, you know? It's my mother-in-law, it's my mother, it's my grandmother, it's my grandfather, it's my children, it's my dog, it's my, you know, whatever. Whatever is in your, you know, your path of misery right now. I don't have enough money, I have too much money, I, you know, I'm, my health is not good enough, I am sick all the time. So if you don't really take care of the mind, uh, you know, there is an expression, a, a self-fulfilling uh, um, what is the word? Self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, the more we think about something, it might happen. Actually, you know, if you keep thinking, she's bad. They are bad. They're terrible. You know, blah blah blah. Eventually, you end up as a, you have to leave a place, maybe because you know life cannot handle this kind of mental state for too long. You're really harming yourself and other people. Being really negative is not what life has uh, in, in mind for you, you know. So the Buddha, uh, in his teaching, um, one thing that's very attractive about this teaching is that really you are uh, encouraged to go into an exploration, a free exploration of yourself. You don't have to believe anything. You don't have to have a set, up, a set of kind of thoughts and ideas and divine entities and so on, you know. It doesn't say there's no God. It doesn't say there is no divine world. In fact, we have many divine worlds in the, uh, you know, in the teaching of the Buddha. You know, he talks about that. So, but his teaching is not so, to, to be uh, kind of to, to find a world where you settled again, where you are re kind of reborn. I have to be careful when I use the word reborn. Just your mind gets back into a better state, for example. You know, you've had a really depressing days and suddenly you find yourself better and feeling more confident and more happy. You could say the mind has been reborn into a happy world, you know. And then the next day something happened, you get discouraged, you get disappointed, you get, and then your mind goes into hell again. You know, so we go, we navigate between many different worlds without really realizing it most of the time. And we think it's mine, it's my problem, I have done it. Don't we? We're so convinced that we are in charge of our world, don't we? That we feel, why doesn't it work? I've done all this. I've put my energy into this for years now and nothing is happening. That's for my next talk. The more I try, the less it works. <laughs> it's the next, <laughs> next talk, next, another Sunday. Yeah. It, it's what, exactly what's happening. We don't know how to really free ourselves from this suffering. And we want a quick way. So I could say the, 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 the response of a human brain, untrained, maybe unknowing of itself, it's a quick way. It's a miserable way because a quick way is a kind of reactivity, constantly reacting. You're constantly reacting to, to, towards misery. You're constantly in that kind of yo-yo feeling where you have something you really love to have and then you get it, you feel happy, okay? And then somebody wants to take it away from you and then you're really unhappy and you get angry and you make somebody very miserable and so on, you know. When it's good, without really even knowing it, 
you're really, really, if you're not really conscious and attentive and vigilant, you're already in the hand or you're caught into this uh, force of cause, uh, called the, one of the three causes of suffering is this force of wanting to become constantly somebody, let's say, free, okay? And wanting to uh, not become somebody who is miserable. So life, human life, many people use this kind of uh, uh, help. They try to help themselves by trying to deny their life. They deny themselves and deny their world. So this is something that doesn't work, don't you? So we all know that intellectually, yeah? We have a great capacity to fool ourselves because we, we, can, we can really uh, remember all this, the, the teaching of the Buddha, we can remember. Now, that is easy. I mean, if you have a good memory especially, it's not too difficult eh, to remember what the Buddha said. The more difficult part is, you know, when you say, can we find, is there a shortcut? The shortcut is just believe that what you think is what you know. That's a shortcut. Now, when you start really noticing that what you know might not be the full uh, uh, understanding of the past or the mind or the body or whatever, your life, this is when, personally, I felt really dissatisfied because I could remember, I could read, I could uh, accumulate a lot of knowledge on spiritual life, on spiritual past and so on, you know, great saints, great uh, being, great people who had liberated themselves and so on. But I was not so content. I wanted myself to understand. I didn't want just to be content with the, the, the mind and the life of somebody else the mind of the life of another saint or another person that seemed more intelligent than me or seemed more cultivated or had more knowledge, more worthy knowledge than myself because I can be impressive, you know. So um, when you um, sort of when you read the life of the Buddha, you realize that the reason, the, the first time according to the, you know, the history, according to records, the, the first um, moment when he woke up to the fact that life is suffering, it was after many years, he was, I think, 29, and he came out of, for the first time out of his father. He was a prince, and he came out of his father's palace, and at some point with his uh, charioteer, and at some point he saw three different, he had three sites, so three different sites. One was a site of a... Uh, uh, an aging person, the sight of a, a sick person, and the sight of dead person. So he was so amazed every time he asked his friend, the charioteer, um, is this something that's going to happen to me? You know, that's the way we are when we, you know, we might be 60, you know, but still people haven't woken up yet. That maybe one day they will die or they will get sick or they will get old, right? We know it. We don't have to dwell on it, because if we dwell on it without consciousness and mindfulness, you might make yourself get old really fast by being depressed. You need to get old before you get old. So you just have to really be careful. Enjoy your youth while you are young, and find out how you deal with old age when you become old. You know. So the Buddha doesn't ask us to deny the reality of our life. But these three signs, you know, they are called the uh, heavenly messengers in Buddhism. 
because truly they are the kind of subject or situation that really wakes us up. If somebody, you know, if you to touch onto the topic of, you know, you may be able on the topic of illness, uh, aging, and death, you may be able to speak about that when it concerns somebody else. You know, my my friend has become really old now. He has dementia. He has this and that. My, you know, I'm, I'm my granny, my granny uh, is dying. You know, it's it's very painful. It's very sad. But still, it hasn't kind of maybe caught you in the way that enabled to be woken up by it. And woken up is when you realize that there's no quick way. You know, when you wake up, when you're mindful and vigilant, you know, you realize there's no quick way. When you see the monks and the nuns here, you know, we dedicate our whole life to this, you know. Why? Because there isn't any quick way, you know. Because to really, um, you know, free the mind, I mean, what does it mean to be free? You know, this morning I was just eating a yogurt and I looked at the, the carton, and there was something there was like maybe tasteful and free. I thought to myself, This is really strange for yogurt, talk of the yogurt free. <laughs> but you can see how people get fooled by these words to sell their yogurts, you know, this thing going to really fool the people around us. Then, fortunately, it fell into my gaze, and I thought I mentioned it <laughs> to you. Because we, what does it mean to be free anyway? Most people don't have any idea what it means to be free. You know, they have a lot of ideas which are my, and there are many aspects of freedom. You know, maybe you want to be free from disease. Maybe you want to be free and do what you want. Maybe you want to have as much money as you can to live the, the life you want to live. Maybe a very luxurious life, a very full of friends, girlfriend, partners, and all the rest. Change every month, if possible, if you have enough money. Yeah? And uh, then you're stuck at home with somebody you're going to be with for 50 years. <laughs> so I'm not saying I'm not talking about anybody here, by the way. But basically, <laughs> this freedom—what is it? You know, in the sixties, you remember sixties, seventies. You know, just like follow your bliss. You know, the, the freedom of following one's bliss. That sounds so good. Sounds so good. I think we moved that. We moved from that. Now you can see the world is a big mess because they don't follow their bliss anymore. They just go to war. <laughs> You know, from one continent to another, they just fight now. It's kind of fun. For them, it's kind of going to war in a way that's not killing everybody yet, you know. But it might come, might come. So, um, you know, what does it, what does it mean to be free? Well, it, it's not a word they're saying. You know, the world will never be free. It's an illusion to think that the world outside will be ever Perfect. This is the, uh, you know, the heaven that everybody has been dreaming of for many, many years. Maybe not in the last 20, 30 years, but before that, there was a lot of imagination that one day we'll be in heaven, dancing with a little uh, sheep and uh, singing with the birds and uh, eating the best food in the world and having surrounded by flowers, singing. Uh, singing and all kind of things like that. Some of the beautiful aspect of life, the things that are pleasant, agreeable, the things that we love. Maybe not everybody, but some people would love to have that kind of uh, heaven, live in heaven. Yet the Buddha doesn't say that the world is heaven, okay? He say the world that we live in is absolutely, uh, you know, uh, filled with 
misery, filled with dukkha. And people think that Buddhism is, oh, all about describing life as life is suffering, you know, life is suffering, there's only suffering. This is a great mistake to think of Buddhism as, define Buddhism as that. No, the Buddha doesn't talk about life being suffering. It says you can actually see the, the limitation, your prison. You can see the box you, you boxed yourself in. You can see the habits that traps you again and again. You can see the, the delusion, the lies, the, all those kind of things, the, the corruption of the mind. I have a, a whole talk on the sweet liar. The mind is a sweet liar. It keeps lying to you all the time. So when I met the teaching of the Buddha, it was like not talking about what I, what's going to happen when I'm liberated. He was saying, just first of all, look at yourself. Know yourself. Get to understand how your habits work. Are they yours? Are they mine? Can you control them? Can you control others? So you see, our interpretation of life through the sense of self, called the ego or the self or me or whatever, is very distorted from the truth, very far away from the truth. You know, you say, what is the truth? Well, I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> You know, so we interpret life in a very um, uh, kind of uh, deluded way. Now, this is maybe a, a bit of a hard truth to hear, but after myself having practiced for many, many years, I realized how narrow the narrow bound of our knowledge of ourselves we 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 have until we wake up and start walking the path, not of quick fix but the path that goes very deep to liberate the mind, you know, goes very deep. So be careful, goes deep, you know. Don't be uh, conscious for too long, it could transform you. Your life might change, you never know. Some people say, oh, I think I go on to the path of Buddhism because I really wish my life changed, right? But it's true, you know. Uh, I mean, for me, my own experience, I never wanted to be a nun. I just woke up. <laughs> and 40 years later, I'm finally here. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, I find a lot of joy just walking a path that is really useful, not just for me, but also for many people. When I came to Amaravati, I remember people asking me, challenging me, say, what do you do for the world? I see the world, what do you mean the world? Amarawati for me is one of the most powerful social action. We don't have to go into this right now. But just to go back to the, you know, the way how the, how the Buddha woke up to those three signs of suffering and began to realize, began to kind of understand that that's what going. That is what going to what's going to happen to him as well, you know. Many of us act in a way as if we were the only one who suffer. We're the only one who are miserable. We are the only one who are stupid. We're only the only one who are not good, not successful, not the the whole world have shared those same mind states, those same stories. It's the same for everyone. Of course, uh, the, the, it's different. It's uh, you know different kind of details and different kind of but. When the Buddha talks about worldly wins, like su success and failure, praise and blame, fame and defame, and love and hate, 
It's like mental states. He's actually describing mental states that course through the mind all day long in our, in our, in our self, in our mind. You know, we're frightened to, to, to not succeed. We're frightened to fail. We want to be loved. We don't want to be hated. We don't want, we want to love. We don't want to hate people. We'd want to rather be praised rather not be defamed, you know. We'd rather be, um, successful, etc. Yeah. So these mental states are universal. Understand? They are not me, not mine, not you, not yours. And to be able to observe this with clarity and insight is a reason why there is no quick fix. Because studying oneself is a deep work because as I said, you're dealing with a sweet liar. The mind will always telling you something that does not exist or create something that it does, that does not exist, you know. It's quite amazing. It's such a relief to know that. If you know the freedom of knowing your mind, you will be really happy to know that, you know. I, mean, I guess you came here to hear that. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying it's a, it's a recipe for everybody. And it's not a recipe that works all the time, you know, when you know your mind, you also encounter a lot of limitation, your own limitation. The inability to accept people, the inability to love people, the inability to love yourself, accept yourself, etc., etc., you know. So that, that, that's, there is, in that very uh, relationship to life, we have a lot of dukkha, a lot of misery, a lot of stress, you know. Somebody was reminded me that reminding me that the only thing that moves amoebas is irritation. Just in case you, if you just remember how many amoebas we have in ourselves, and if you feel irritated, don't take it personally. No, you can blame the amoebas, <laughs> whatever. But again, all these all these emotions, all these states of mind, arise out of nowhere and they end. When you, when, when you don't expect, you know, sometimes they can end very quickly and sometimes they can really, um, uh, you know, you, you, you get really reactive by thinking you should have gone a long time ago as if you were controlling the universe, you know. Yeah, wouldn't we like to have England? I mean, now we can't complain, but if we could control, you know, our mind, we could maybe turn England into a south of France, spent quite many years, right? We could turn, I don't know, London into a very nice, totally unpolluted city, right? Very full of greener, green stuff and uh, peace and so on. But we can't, you know, we do have to abide by the law of karma, the law of cause and result. So maybe what I want to say, uh, talk a bit more about the Buddhist teaching itself. So because these are tools that you can use in your daily life, but I'm not saying it is easy. And we have the mind that has a terrific resistance to do anything good often. When Look, I mean, if you decide to have to do for any women, you know, we go on to a diet, okay, we want to be slim and looking beautiful. You know, the next four days we do it, and then after that you suddenly it starts kind of dwindling, and you say, well, after all, I'm fine like that. <laughs> and you continue to eat for another 10 years or something. 
Then 10 years time, you say, well, I should have really been more careful 10 years ago. So there is a terrific resistance to uh, liberation. The mind is really resisting. Why? It's not a big mystery. It's like, you know, um, if you train a dog well enough, nowadays drug at, dogs are trained, you know, down to the five-star style. I have a friend who has a dog, and, you know, he, he, her and her partner, I mean, they spend hours, you know, taking the dogs to the training center. He has to do all kinds of things to be a good dog, uh, a kind dog and psychologically trained and so on you know, and they love it you know they don't have any problem with it but I realize by the time the dog is trained you ask them I don't know some different things than the training it would refuse it it would be resistant to the training you're resistant to any new input you understand and we're not so far away from the animal world you know in that sense we have a ter- all of us have a great uh, instinct of, of um, you know of survival. All of us are frightened to die. All of us have fear the future. All of us are trying to uh, you know to live a better life. All of us hope when it's good it will never stop. Yet the first truth of the Buddha, one of the most important one, is to realize that everything is changing. Thank goodness for that. Because until when you see your mind clearly and closely, you're really glad things are moving on, you know. Wow, how wonderful, you know. Because when you practice, you begin to see even the nice things in your mind, in your heart, in your body. After a while, you get bored with them. But if you don't know the law of Anicca, you just get stuck with them, even when you don't want them anymore. You know, like fall in love with somebody you really find wonderful, you don't think it's anicca. It might be anicca. But most people think that because they're not in love anymore, they, they have to leave their partner. You know, it's like the, the partnership was dependent on this feeling. But if, if they had known that feelings are impermanent, thoughts are impermanent, mental activities are impermanent, you know, perception are impermanent, Right? And the body is impermanent. The body is constantly changing. If we could realize this law of anicca, we would be really far already on the path to liberation. You know. And maybe you, some of you don't even know liberation. What Liberation from what? You know? So the, the Buddha discovered that what really makes us really uh, impossible to live with ourselves is that we don't know how to deal with greed, hatred, and delusion. Delusion means avidya. It's not a bad word, you know. It's simply we don't know the Dhamma. We don't know the truth, how to go about with this teaching. The truth and how to realize this truth, you know. How to be supported and upheld in our life to come to realization, insight, you know. So, yeah, so we do have to understand that uh, the, the one of the, um, you could say, the, the, the heart of the Buddhist teaching of this tradition is this teaching of the Four Noble Truths. There is suffering, call it stress, calling things which are difficult to bear, call it, uh, you know, what, something else maybe. Uh, there is a cause of suffering, there is an ending to suffering. We're not left with just suffering and having to suffer to be free. When we free ourselves, it means suffering has ended. 
Do you understand? We don't free ourselves, you know, by continuing to suffer. We free ourselves when, when we have freed our mind from the dukkha, the suffering had gone, is gone. And this is what you need to know for yourself, you need to understand and realize for yourself the way this law works. Don't count on your brain. Don't count on what you think. That doesn't work. It might help. It's like soothing, you know. You can see it's an isha. It's part of the reflection uh, aspect of the teaching. You may be having a lot of fear in yourself, your panic attack and so on, you know, and you may remind, you remind yourself, well, this is actually impermanent, you know. Just to say that, help the heart to calm down a little bit. You know, you give a message to your mind that is maybe hopeful. Because fear is a particular bad one because it's one that makes you feel you're trapped. You know, and fear, you can be liberated from fear, I can assure you. You can be liberated from greed, can be liberated from delusion. Now, you, maybe you're not enlightened and you're fully liberated, like the Buddha, you know, maybe it's not like you have no more greed, no more delusion, no more anger. But your relationship to this anger, delusion, and greed has come to a place of peacefulness. You're actually at peace with the fact that you are temporary seeing yourself in that way. You are maybe angry, but it's impermanent. You stop being uh, reactive. Like, oh, she's terrible, or this situation is awful, or, I'm awful. That you, come, you start to calm down. Do you understand? You start making peace with the fact that being human has this aspect. It's not me having problems. It's just being human. Me being human. Right? Being human, there is greed, there is hatred, and there is delusion. Do you understand? Now, you don't have to believe what they say, but maybe some of you have already experienced this kind of a feelings, you know, this kind of... Uh, I remember my insight when, before I became a nun, I was observing my mind quite a lot. I did not know I was a Buddhist at the time. You know, you don't have to have a label. I mean, it's a consciousness, aware, conscious... And, um, you know, I was beginning to see that my greatest, it wasn't a fear, but it was like a sense of awe, rather. I was amazed. I, really, I was observing my desires, you know, because I was interested. And the object of my desires and so on. And at some point over a period of maybe a year or two, I had this realization that desire energy was completely bottomless, never satisfied. Do you understand? It was a shock for me. Wow, you want to work on desire, but desire is never ends. Once you have one thing, you want another. Want to have, you know, we know that, but it was such a shock to realize that there was no stopping in the way I knew. Do you understand? The way I knew, the little I knew, was, oh my, I'm, I'm stuck in that kind of energy. Then the Buddhist teaching actually comes into your rescue and says, actually, desire end. But it doesn't end the way we think ourselves. We think incorrectly. You know, we make a desire end by finding another one, maybe more pleasant. That kind of soothes us for a little while, and maybe we lose the quality of awareness and consciousness because we just feel happy. 
But uh, so with the distance between us and what we do is decreased and we just get lost in this feeling. So um, what, you, um, what you realize is that uh, when the mind is stuck in that kind of uh, kind of your personal interpretation of suffering, then you feel truly uh, you know, imprisoned by it. Now, the deep work, you know, the fact that it's not something you can do quickly, is because you have to be for a long time a, a, a patient observer of your mind in an untrained state. And that is something difficult to do because you don't see beautiful things, you know. You start looking at jealousy, you start looking at envy, you start looking at... But don't worry, life is compassionate at many levels, you know. So you, know, you are given what you can handle, in my experience. That's the way I interpreted it. Also, people have said to me, uh, one person has said to me, oh, no, 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 I feel uh, your life always gives me more than I can handle. But you can handle life more skillfully when you have the strengths of consciousness and mindfulness and the qualities all under energy, effort, capacity to put effort into something, the capacity to get interested, really eager to understand, you know. So there's something, uh, en passant, I, I just want to mention, some people think that in Buddhism, you, you know, you must not have any desires, you know, because desires is bad. So again, that's a false interpretation. That's an incorrect view of it. Desire, you know, the Buddha said, there's one allowable desire. You know, you wouldn't be here if you had a desire to take the car and come here, would you? You wouldn't be here if you had a desire to listen to Dhamma or to be at Amaravati. So desire is, is good when it actually supports the path. And the path is not just a, a little road, it's life. Your path is life, you understand? So when you have this kind of interest in waking up to the, the, the aspect of life which will free you, you know, such as the path of practice, meditation, uh, you know, um, skillful actions, skillful speech, skillful thoughts, and so on, when you are really interested in that, you know, right view, which is one of the most important things, you know, right view and wrong view, there's right view and wrong view. So you can have, uh, you know, a lot of effort, concentration and energy and so on while stealing a bank. That would be wrong view <laughs> or wrong, you know, wrong action, wrong activity. You know, in the sense, what, what the Buddha talks about right view is that that which is really, um, work together with the Dhamma, with the truth. So let's go back to the first noble truth. The first noble truth is this, um, realization that there is suffering right now. It can be a, a pain in your knee. It can be a, an anguish, a sort of anguish in the heart. It can be, uh, you know, a, a painful memory. It can be, uh, the sense of, not getting it right, feeling despondent or feeling depressed or feeling, you know, not having what you want. I mean, every day we chant this uh, particular sutta, you know, in our morning chanting, you know, what is suffering? What is the first noble truth, you know? Association with what you dislike is dukkha. Now, just to show you the extent to which this dukkha exists, 
right? Association to what you dis with what with you dislike is dukkha, is stress. Separation from what you like is dukkha, is stress. Not attaining one's wishes is dukkha. Right? And in brief, the last one in brief, the five focuses of identity is dukkha. And the five focuses of identity, is it um, points to the way the Buddha describes a human being. He says a human being is made up, he's not particularly sentimental, the Buddha, you know, nor concerned about being inspiring. He's just concerned about truth, about what he discovered and what he's transmitting. So he just says a, a human, a human, a human, a human, full stop, is made up of five heaps, right? Nothing like five clouds or fry or something inspiring. <laughs> five bunch of flowers. <laughs> no, five heaps, you know. H-E-A-P. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, there is a body, sometimes referred to as matter, made up of the five elements, earth, water, fire, and air and space. Okay. There is the uh, feelings, Vedana, feelings, what we feel, what we sense, what we feeling happy, unhappy, or neutral, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. There is um, perception, how you perceive things, you know, whether you perceive correctly and correctly, or you perceive through uh, the, the being, uh, perception being mind or not mind, you know, free from mind free from the sense that this perception belongs to me, right? And then you have uh, sankara, which means mental construct, which is the, the stories of our thoughts, the, the, the thinking mind, and so on. And then the last one is sense consciousness. That's the last heap. And that's the consciousness that uh, manifests through the eyes, ears, not tongue, body, um, uh, uh, Mind, and I think I've forgotten one, nose, right? The five senses. So um, this, um, you know, this five uh, uh, kind, of, uh, kind of interpretation of the, of the human being is not very well known in this world. You know, we rather look at the beauty of the, of the human being. We look at the one beauty. We don't want to see the, the bones of our body. We don't want to see the, inter the inside of our body. We don't want to. Yet, for us, it's a, it's a regular reflection called the 32 parts. So we, we're reflecting. This body is, you know, da-da-da. We talk about all the organs inside the described. We have a long list of all the organs, 32 parts. Right? To remind ourselves, it's a way of... Uh, taking away the mind in its delusion that we're all beautiful, we look for the beautiful and we need the beautiful, and suddenly you realize the beautiful, if you kind of cut somebody open and look at all the intestine, the stomach, the vein, the blood, the, it might not be as attractive as it is and when you get lots of Botox and nice lipsticks and lots of a very fine body and so on, and pretty, you know, pretty face. So it's a way for the Buddha to say, yes, there's beauty, but they also take on board everything, you know, beauty and also non-beautiful. It's actually called the non-beautiful. Yeah? So you're not pushing one and, uh, or ignoring another. You just know the full picture. Right? 
like you don't think of England as just being a sunny day at 30, you know, 25 degrees centigrade. England is also rain, snow, damp, cold, and so on. You know, take the whole of England. It's like different facets of England. And so the second noble truth is the cause of dukkha. So the cause of dukkha is desire for sense pleasures. How many of you have already gone on the rampage for sense pleasure and realized you've wasted your time? You know, you wanted to be satisfied through some kind of sense, you know, sense, um, uh, you, you know, satisfaction. And like you eat, you eat a good, good meal, you're wonderfully happy, you eat, 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 and suddenly you're sick for three days. <laughs> I don't think it happened to you necessarily, but, you know, you, I mean, you can find the example in your own life, you know. When you just are caught up in wanting to be self-satisfied on the sensory level, there's always a sense of weariness after a while. You get bored. It's like little kids, you know, you get a little doll, a little train, a little toys and so on. You notice the kids after maybe, maybe, um, I don't know, depends what kids, which kids, you know, but after a few minutes or maybe half an hour, they just throw it into the bin. They're just not interested anymore. And in a way, I think we are born in this life with, like a child, you know, like a little child. We just don't know how to handle life, truly. You know, we don't know how to really um, manage the, 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 the magnitude of being a human being. It's enormous. I'm, I'm so glad I found this path because I really find this world is very difficult. You know, and I'm not frightened by the world particularly, but it's a really... Not just this time, as this time, but any other time. You know, the world of human being, even at the best of time, is full of, you know, uh, un misunderstanding and things that we can't cope with. You know, but the very fact that our own body, when you look at at yourself, if I look at myself or other people, you can see the body is aging, the body, the mind is aging, the the life is, you know, you get healthy and then you get sick and then you die, you know. So all this is quite hard to take on board. You don't even know where you go when you die. People are really interested, you know, to find out whether there'll be a ripple as a little pig or as angels. <laughs> Just an image, little piggy. We don't know. A lot of people make a lot of assumptions. You know, they work really, really, really hard in this lifetime to get reborn into a deva, you know, or in the angelic world. There's no certainty. What you can do is just do it now, because afterwards you have... Nobody's come back truly. There's a lot of near-death experience. There's a lot of story about going beyond and so on. You can see that, you know, in many places. But, uh, and it sounds quite good, most of them, you know, but we we come bank on it, you know. Just make sure you do the work now, before you die, you know. Before you you can't do it. It's a really uh, precious time for all of us to be able to see the first noble truth, second noble truth. So the second noble truth I'm going to continue is the desire to become. Like it's it's life. I mean, life is just a process of becoming. Every day we become something else. Life continues. It doesn't wait for you. And it doesn't wait, you know, it doesn't say, excuse me, do you want, you know, can I go? Can I continue? You know, or can we have a deal? If I do that good well, if I do this thing well for life, will you give me another 10 years of my 20s? No, we can't do that, you know. 
no bargain with Mara. We say no bargain with Mara. Probably you don't know what Mara is. Mara means death. And Mara is actually, uh, it's like the devil of the Buddha, of the, in Buddhism. But fortunately, when you practice with good teachers, like Ajahn Sumedho, you manage to have a sense that Mara is, in fact, not just with Ajahn Sumedho, but I did my own exploration as well, because I like to explore different teachings even, you know, different traditions. And I have to say, as a Buddhist nun, it's embarrassing, but the one that inspired me most, well, it's the most practical one, it came from a Sufi master. And he says, if you want to know the devil, don't go very far, just look at yourself. I just, I'm just, you know, I like things to be really practical, you know. I don't have to wait for somebody to go down to heaven, you know, to show me he's like Satan or something. No, I just look at myself. And it is that. The ignorance is a devil. You know, delusion is Mara. And Mara has a, is always depicted as a very funny character. If you have a like, sense of humor, the Buddha did have a sense of humor because Mara is always this... <laughs> Describe in his suttas, in his teaching, as it is an army. It's like an army. Mara has an army. Sometimes they are daughters, sometimes they are sons. It depends, you know, which, uh, which, <laughs> which book you read. And I don't mind them being daughters because I'm part of the one that interested more in being free. So Mara is the one that she's always, she's a temptress. She's always telling you things that are going to make you walk off the path, you know. So in the time of the Buddha, Mara was the one who said to all the enlightened nuns, you know, near enlightened nuns, say, what do you do here? Look at that. Look at the way you look. You're so all skinny and miserable looking. You know, you're beautiful. And you just sit there on the mountain there, in the trees. You know, you could make a lot of merit for your family. That's the great temptation of Mara. You could bring a lot of happiness to your family if you're disrobed, in other words. Because then you will have children, and she will have grandchildren, and then the family could carry on. It's the same with monks. There's a lot of story with Mara tempting, you know, them to fulfill the agenda of their family. And so, um, you know, so the Mara comes, you know, and she's like, yeah, well, look, let's go in to see that, that nun there. She, we can, I think we can get her. I mean, this is me paraphrasing. And they go and say, oh, this, what I've just said to you, and then, she says, I know you, Mara. Fierce, you know. A nun will meditate on the verge of cracking up into the enlightenment one. <laughs> it's pretty powerful, I think. And so she's looking at Mara, she says, I know you, Mara. And that's exactly what the Buddha is repeated in all the suttas, I know you, Mara. And not, I am frightened of you, I know you, Mara. And Mara, in the story, uh, apparently she's described as she's really miffed miffed, I like this word, she's really disappointed. And she fears, she, she says, we have been seen. That's all. It's just really light. It's kind of sweet, you know. So they, they, we, they know us, you know. We just, we don't have, a, we can't put a foot in there. You know, it's not possible. So it's a sign also for you to know that if your life is good and if your life is really, you, you kind of cultivate a good mind, a good heart, then you will also be protected. What? From what? From Mara. From the mind, from that voice that, that drives the mind crazy, that drives the mind into despair, that drives the mind into intense misery, you know. That's Mara. And then, 
um, the third noble truth, I'm sorry, and then, so you have the becoming, okay, becoming, wanting to become more successful, it's fine, there's nothing wrong with that until, you dis until, until it is dukkha. You see, dukkha doesn't appear straight away. You may be sitting, I, I sat on dukkha for 32 years, I think, well, 30 years, maybe 29 years, and then suddenly this dukkha was beginning to be, be, make itself known. And I, I just felt, suddenly, I felt uncomfortable. I felt like, you know, even though I had a good, you know, life, life situation, right? So um, suddenly we wake up, something in us wakes up to the Dhamma. Once you waken up, it's difficult to go back to sleep, I have to say, you know. And you want to direct your life in a way that keeps on waking you up so you can see clearly the path of liberation. Without that kind of quality, you won't see anything. And the Buddha says again and again, I teach for one who knows and for one who sees. Not for one who thinks clearly. Not for one who knows many things, you know, about many things. For one who knows, for one who sees. So if you had, let's say, a wound, but you did not know you had it, and it's not really problematic, you know, for the time being, you will never know, you will never do anything to it. But suddenly, when it becomes problematic, then you see and you know, and then you do something about it. That's how it happened. You don't have to look for suffering, don't worry. You don't have to do that. But when you suffer, then you have a, a, a mean to use the Buddhist pharmacopoeia, you know, the, the, the medicine kit of Buddhism, which are the four noble truths. The third noble truth, fortunately, out of great compassion, the Buddha is leading us to the freedom from suffering. You say, out of, to be free from suffering. And so that is the end. That's what you discovered when you meditate. When you meditate, not necessarily formally meditation, but you look inside. You start learning how to direct your gaze inwardly. And when you meditate, you begin to see, you know, that things end. You know? Becoming can be, you know, if you don't see becoming, you, you, you don't know non-becoming. You know, they, they work with each other. It's like a yo-yo. Lateral yo-yo, right? So, when you see those three, sensual pleasure, um, you know, desire to become, desire to not become, desire to not become, just to finish that bit, it's about when the mind is really depressed, you know, you just don't want to become life. You want to, you want to end your life, you know, not necessarily kill yourself, of course, but you, want to, you don't want to see it. You don't want to bury yourself in your bed or in drugs, or in alcohol, or whatever. You want to be completely annihilated and not be alive. Now, this is a big misery, but we don't know it yet, okay? It's only when we start looking at it, having, uh, you know, uh, checking it, knowing it, seeing it, experiencing it, seeing it again, and again, and again, suddenly, then you understand how it works, right? So, Niroda, the end, this is the third uh, truth of suffering, it's called cessation. Sometimes it's a word that you can use for Nibbana, cessation. And so this third noble truth is, uh, points to the fact that there is a man to all our experience. Everything is changing, anicca, impermanent, transient, ephemeral. Yes, everything changes. But most people are really addicted to not wanting to change. It's too frightened to change. Too frightening. 
Once you know it will change anyway, you don't have to abandon the goodness of your heart and mind and body. You don't have to abandon your good life when things change. You flow with the flow and you continue to feel, you know, to continue to cultivate a good heart, a good mind, good life. Right? You don't say, oh, well, I have, Buddha says, um, everything is changing. Let's have a drink. Let's, let's get drunk. Let's go to, you know, whatever. No, it's a Buddha. I encourage you to live a good life. Okay? We have the precept. We don't have much time to speak now. But, so the cessation on Niroda, it means to see the ending. And that it takes a mind that is trained in, you could say, in seeing. And seeing, you see, meditation is the tool to enable you to see inwardly what's happening. Not just a tool to inwardly, but also outwardly. You become conscious of the outside world. You're not just like me, 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 wanting something, get it quick, 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 bang, 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 ignore everybody. You just like open now. You actually see everybody around you. And you're not the only one that counts anymore. You, you take care of other people. You take care of life around you. So that's Niroda. And last one, the fourth noble truth, is uh, the Maga, the path, leading to the end of suffering. So that's a whole program for your life that you can follow or not follow, it's up to you. I mean, would I never say that shall go to hell if you don't follow? You know, it's just like if you want to follow it, it's open, it's here in front of you if you want to. You can learn, you can study, you can realize, you can, etc. So this is what is offered to the Buddha, by the Buddha, sorry, to us, to our Buddha mind, to our Buddha nature. We don't use the word Buddha nature, but to, the, to the, the fact that we have a mind that can actually liberate itself from greed, hatred, and delusion. So this is a wonderful um, gift, you know, of the Buddha's life gift. Because I always feel right from the beginning, it gives you already a sense of freedom. The reason why I got very interested by this teaching is maybe, you know, I'm like many of us, you know, when we're young, we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. That can continue to old age as well. But particularly when we're young, you don't want any adult to tell us what to do. And I was one of those, like probably many of you too. And so the idea of having somebody, you know, telling me what to do, no, I don't want that, you know. But the Buddhist teaching is just an encouragement. It's so nice. You don't have to believe anything. You just begin to test it out through your own experience. You begin to get a sense, ah, I can be my own guinea pig. <laughs> you know, I can actually work and see it really from first-hand experience. So, you know, this path, so the path is all about, you know, the divided sila means ethics, samadhi means meditation, and panya means wisdom. So that's the three faces of the, the, of the, the path of uh, liberation, you know? And then it's kind of subdivided into, you know, right view, right intention, that's wisdom. Then it has uh, right livelihood, right action, right um, speech, that's ethic, you know, and then uh, meditation, right effort, right concentration, right mindfulness. 
So the, each three of them help each other. The Buddha says when you make, when you cultivate sila, this helps your meditation. When you develop meditation, this helps your wisdom. This also uh, build up your wisdom capacity. When you are more wise, when the wisdom is more present in the mind, that helps to keep your sila better, etc. They all inter, uh, interact with each other, interdependent. So, this is not a shortcut, but, you know, there's different kind of shortcut and different kind of liberation. Human being untrained tend to take to, to this, to kind of, um, build up his or her shortcut, which means feel miserable, come and have a drink, forget it, forget that, forget. We want to forget that misery. We take a pill. We distract ourselves and so on. Right? And then you have, you know, um, that kind of shortcut. Is that one kind of shortcut, you know? You can go to a weekend for 3,000 pounds, you know, and get instant enlightenment. I have people, I know people who have done that in America. And they believe it. That's, a, that's the worst part of it. You feel sorry for them. So be careful of people, you know, when they talk to you about instant enlightenment, you know, shortcuts. No. I would like shortcuts because I know it very well. I've trained as a dancer myself. There are no shortcuts. You have to really work and sweat and cry sometimes for years, you know. Work very hard to train the body. And to train the mind and the heart is even harm. Much, nothing in comparison. The, 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 to train the body is nothing in comparison to training the mind. Because training the mind is your mind. What you think of, you, of it as your mind. And then immediately it rebels and resists and doesn't want that. And, uh, oh. That's what the past is about. You watch your resistance. And when Ajahn Shah said, you know, the practice is 75% you fail. You know, 25 you succeed, 75. Sometimes the percentage are passed on from one teacher to another differently. But what he points out is that the practice is not to get it right. No, don't think you practice better when you get it right. You get it better when you actually realize and understand better. You know, make more peace in yourself, bring more peace in yourself. So I wish you to be free. And I wish you to find a peace of freedom. And to uh, not be frightened to work on this path because you have a lot of help. Like if you come to Amarawati, a lot of people following this path can help you and guide you if you needed it. Explain and just help you to understand. There's a meditation workshop every week here. Many people come and get a, a kind of uh, an, a glimpse of meditation practice, you know. So I'm very happy to see so many people interested in uh, helping themselves to realize this, at least the understanding of the possibility of being free, you know. And when the Buddha talks about freedom, he talks about freedom from greed, freedom from hatred, freedom from delusion. That covers the whole human experience. There's uh, lots of different di <laughs> little sub kind of uh, folders, you know, underneath all that. Just the whole experience of being human. <laughs>